0: Hello, Welcome back in. This is Builder vs. Buyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing builders and buyers together through advice and education. My name is Adam Steiner and I am back with another solo show today, a fun, exciting one. Um, Today I'm going to be talking about the do's and don'ts of market ready plans. So this is plans for production and semi-custom builders. You would see, uh, most builders know what I'm talking about, but um, the plans that you see when you pull up their website and you go to the floor plans tab, this is the offering that they're showing you. Um, This podcast will be a little more builder-centric than buyer-centric, but I think if you're a home buyer looking to design your custom home or looking to purchase a newly built home, um, this is a a good checklist to have on your radar of things, things to include and watch out for in, in that floor plan. Um, and first off, let me say, this is, um, might be a little bit of a controversial, uh, topic, especially in the architecture and design world. I don't think many architects and designers, um, as little children grow up wanting to be, um, designing production homes. Um, you know, you hear the phrase cookie cutter a lot. And, um, yeah, it gets kind of a bad rap. I I have a little bit different opinion on it. Um, I, I think that I love designing this home and this type of home. The core reason really is, I think this is what most people can afford. Um, the custom homes are nice and beautiful, but there's just a, such a small percentage of the population that actually lives in a truly custom designed home. I think most Americans live in something that was built by a production builder or um, semi-custom builder. Um, also, I think there's there's ways to really optimize this design, build in a lot of character and features. Like, I want to make – I don't think I'm going to be – I've said this before on the podcast. I'm not going to be the one to end the production housing um market in America, but I think in some small way, I can make it better in that designing more character, more better features, more cost-efficient plans for people to live in. So this is why it's um, really close to my heart, why I talk about it and why I enjoy designing for it. Um, Second, I'll say in the intro here, um, why should a builder optimize this? Um, I think the big national builders have already optimized this. They've done it years ago and they really have this dialed in. So this episode really isn't for them. Um, this is for more the the small to medium sized builder looking to grow, um, wanting to get better. Um, and the mistake I see a lot is small builders have little to no data. And so they look at the equation of we built this home, it's sold. I made it you know, a little to a decent amount of money. So the plan must have been right. And I would argue whether, whether or not, um, the plan, the house sold in a time frame or not, I think if you were to optimize this homes would sell faster. They would sell more of them. Your profit margins would be better. And I, my hope is at the end of the day, you'd have happier clients. Lastly, for the intro. Um, I think some of my past bosses, if they were to listen to this and listen to this advice, they would have been like, whoa, 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 time out. Where was all this when you were employed by us? Um, to that argument, I would say I learned as much from my mistakes in design as I have from getting it right. So a lot of these are um, the this advice is the fruit of doing it wrong instead of Doing everything perfect right off the bat. Um, so let me dive into it. I think the biggest thing when I'm designing a production home, the first thing that's in my brain, um, even before really layout uh, or anything, is think structure first. Um, so I'm always, whether this is my history in working for a builder or background in engineering. I like, I don't know, but I I just can't get this out of my brain of like the structure needs to be right first. Um, so what that means in a great, a great market ready home is, um, simple bearing. There's, there's clean spans from the back wall. I usually like to have like a, a center bearing wall that carries up all through the basement, first floor, second floor. Um, and then meets somewhere on that front wall. um, and the cleaner I can make that, the cleaner everything is, it's usually more cost effective. There's less less corners. And speaking of corners, that's the second big factor I look into in structure is um, the perimeter. So the, the cost of a home, there's a ton of factors that go into it, but it usually boils down to the ratio of the area to perimeter. Um, the perimeter wall dictates so much of your overall cost in the home, Um, foundation is expensive, exterior wall is much more expensive than interior wall, you have insulation, you have siding, you have windows. Um, And then the more complicated the perimeter is, the more complicated your roof is, the more corners you'll have, the more siding you'll have. So if you can really dial in that ratio between floor area and the overall perimeter of the home really, really get into some cost effective builds. Um, a couple a couple things I also like to consider in this. Um, I like to maximize the spans. I think it provides for the best living area, and then it's also the most efficient because you're not adding additional bearing walls, additional steel or LVLs into the plan. So in maximizing spans, I mean most designers know this, but um, you know, if you're doing conventional lumber, Um, you know, the, the two buys that's usually ends up in the 15 to 17 foot range, um, with TJIs, you can get a little more or LSLs, you can get up into the, the 17 to 20 foot range. And then with floor trusses, you're getting up to about 26 feet, maybe more. It just depends on what, um, floor design you're you're doing. So in that floor plan, looking back, I like to maximize those spans to, um, what those members will allow, um. Yes, the, the bigger the span, you could get to some more bouncy floors, um, but I think most of these structural members will be able to um, be designed in a way that minimizes that, quote unquote, bounce in the floor. Allow me to say as well, with a bigger span, it usually tends to a better layout in my mind. I feel like those are the, the open floor plans that everybody wants that... that clear span really, really helps to that effect, obviously. Yeah, and then let me get into just some details about the floor plan itself. Um, so after I've thought structure, and I feel like, okay, I've got a box that works, I start I start to design the layout, The I really start with the core rooms, the kitchen, that nook or dinette, and then the great room, figure out that, and then flesh out the plan around it. Um, and as, as you're getting to the plan around it, I think you kind of know what a good layout is, a good open floor plan for those big three, the kitchen nook, great room. Um, but then getting into the details around it is really where a plan is either made or missed. And um, this is this is what can lead to a lot of um, plans not being as sellable as you thought, even though there's a great layout, great elevation, and a, most buyers first start with box checking, so they have um, they count up the number of kids, whether or not they work from home, um, all that, and so they need they need the, the appropriate number of rooms for how they think they're they li- live, live their lives, and then to add to that are the the minor boxes, those little issues with the plan um, that can really um, that can really sink a design. So let me get into a a few of those that I see most often. Um, These little things that will be a deal deal breaker and absolutely kill your design. Um, The hall bath, that kid's bath, whether that's on the second floor or in a ranch or rambler that's on the the main floor, Um, if you don't have room for a double bowl sink in that bath, honestly, it could cause someone to not buy your plan. before I had kids, I thought this was silly. And now that I have two children with that share, a single bowl sink in their bathroom. Um, it is a real struggle. Every time we try to get them to bed, brushing teeth fights, I thought it was just a parenting thing, but if, if I could solve that problem for people and just have a secondary bowl, um, I, I think that goes a long, long way. And I think most people with kids realize this. So, um, yeah, just make sure and include those. Um, Linen closets, don't forget these. I think this is a, a pass-fail course, as I like to say, either, um, it doesn't matter where it is in the plan, so to speak, whether that's in the, the owner's bath or off the hallway, um, a, you know, a location is always important, but as long as you have one, um, really, really helpful in selling homes. Um, same thing, an entry closet. Um, I think, especially I'm in Minneapolis area, I've also designed a lot for homes in the Midwest. Um, people come over, have big coats, uh, that stuff needs to go somewhere. Um, this again is, it's just something you can't, you can't forget or can't miss. Um, a last, last couple little things, the, something I always look at now. And again, this is, this is because I've failed at this in plans before is the fridge swing. Um, actually now I like to build out a dummy wall next to the fridge. So the fridge has like an extra four to six inches to slide and be pushed back alongside those cabinets. So it's not sticking out so far. And then second, most everybody now is buying a French store fridge. So uh, you need room on both sides to open those doors at least, you know, 135, you won't get a full 180 degree opening, but enough to be able to slide those drawers out, fit a pizza in there. Like think about these little things as you're designing every home. And as you're, you're looking at plans to build. Um, another little thing is bed placement early on in my career. I I was, Kind of cocky and prideful, and thought, um, if the home 's got a great elevation and a good layout, like people will buy it, but these little things, like the bed placement would always be for the the secondary bedrooms, would always be you know underneath those two key windows on the front elevation, for example. Now I try to think through every bedroom a nice, clean wall to put that bed it doesn 't need to be opposite the door all the time, but that is my goal is that opposite the door, you walk in, look at the bed. Um, I think it's best for an interior design perspective. Yeah. Um, Lastly, pretty obvious here, but garage size, I've seen so many people not buy a plan or spend a lot of extra money to increase the garage depth just because their cars won't fit. Um, If you're designing a plan that you intend to build multiple times, Look up the size of a big truck or a utility van and just make sure it fits in what you have designed. Um, and then I'll end with just wrapping up on a couple of my thoughts again on the upside of these plans. Um, I try and make every single one fun. So I really want those designs to be something Timeless and classic. I want to be proud of the homes I'm drawing, and in, in 30 years from now. So I think this gets back to what I what I started with of why people look down on these. I, I think the goal is to get them so boxy and so barn-like that you really strip out all the character, um, and the builder can then maximize profit. And I, I don't think that's that should be our goal here. I think people want the character. I frankly, want to design homes with character, but I think these cost-effective principles can really, really help in getting a great character-filled home. Well, I think that wraps it up for today's podcast. If you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. Um, We have more exciting stuff coming for you next week, so be sure to tune back in on Tuesday. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. It's Adam Steiner with Burnham Design Co. B-I-R-N-A-M. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Andrew Michael Metter for the music.